Welcome to this conversation with Open-Ended Design. We speak with activists and creators from around the world about design, technology, and culture, unpacking their work, generating new ideas, and exploring their dreams for the future. Open-Ended hosted the Technology and Design Summit this year with LabCo at Café Coco in London. These conversations on the futures of intelligence were recorded live as part of London Design Festival. Any audio glitches are because of this. Enjoy. So we're going to start off with Harry. Harry Yef um, is going to join me on the stage. Um, we're really lucky to have caught him. Harry has a flight to catch, um, and he will have to leave right after. But if you have questions for him, I asked him, and he said um, you can ping him on Instagram, and he can chat with you afterwards. So as Harry comes on the stage, where is he? Oh, hi. Okay, good. Um, I'm going to give an intro on him and then we're going to have a bit of a chat um, and then get a bit of a... Should we stand forward? Is going to stand forward, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Harry is Reaps 100 on on the internet. So do, should I call you Harry or Reaps? How do you Harry like... Okay, Harry's good. So Harry and I were introduced by a very dear mutual friend um, to talk about his practice. He is a multidisciplinary artist you work with music, technology, performance. Uh, you talk about your own experiences with neurodiversity. And you have, of course, spoken and performed everywhere from the United Nations uh, to coming and joining us here. Um, the reason that you know I was initially very interested in your work was because you've lost, worked a lot with generative AI, machine learning as part of your music. But when we met, um, there were just so many other touch points in terms of how we both come from very different worlds and practices, and yet um, we see our craft as really overlapping and cross-disciplinary. So mm. what I was hoping for this audience is if you could unpack a little bit about your work specifically with machine learning maybe and how it came about. Yeah, I mean, I think our, our touch point uh, was an element of storytelling and it's quite like a, a tired uh, narrative in this world, but it still is a, an extremely important one. And the role of, uh, I guess, how we can find new ways to frame this and the reason... Uh, the conversation around tech is so important is the more that we can frame new narratives and new storytelling in tech, you reach different demographics. And I come from a working class background, I'm neurodivergent, and I grew up in a council estate in East London. And my first interaction with AI was actually through tournament chess, like as a 14 year old county chess player, uh, many of my contemporaries in that world were middle class, and they had resources from coaches and uh, being able to travel in a way that I couldn't. So my father bought me a very early chess engine. And it was actually sitting down with this relentless system that would never get tired of play. This constant feedback um, is still to this day a narrative that applies uh, in my work. And I think there's a lot of lessons in that, right? That people of less resource can leverage generative to see things and see into the ladder of intelligence in ways that is actually very exciting. And we don't always talk about working class and AI. Um, so these are the narratives I'm very interested in. But in terms of my practice, it started with voice. So I actually came out of music culture, um, composing, writing with voice, uh, beatbox culture, the absolute upper extremes of what vocal technique is. And from my tournament chess days, I started to apply generative systems to think, well, what are new ideas in voice? What are new sentiments? What are new expressions? And was very blessed that the research and the institutions that embrace that idea allow me to travel around the world and, and push that sentiment. So I have a slew of uh, projects with my company that produces uh, installation, artwork, research, experimentation with voice and tech. 
Um, but working with AI has changed my voice. I've been able to develop speed, technique, control uh, as an augmented intelligence that I celebrate. And um, that kind of brought us together, all of those themes. So we have ended up speaking quite a lot in our conversations, Su Chung, for example, mm -hmm. as Devlin, about that space between uh, human and machine intelligence. Mm. That conversation is evolving a lot right now, particularly in terms of legislation and regulation around mm. AI, where the boundaries begin and end. How do you integrate that into your work? Yeah, so I think that obviously there are the kind of nuclear bomb level AI discourse uh, that is very important. But when it comes to regulatory discussion, consent, I think we're moving into the age of the data set where individuals and experts, regardless of class or background, um, are able to leverage their data with these systems and use them as an intelligence flashlight. So for me, my narrative is the embodiment of voice, like the fact that this isn't a speculative, speculative intellectual reality where you're posturing one day I will do this or I'm borrowing this ideas from over here. What are you in love with? Like, what are you passionate about? What is your discipline? What are you spending 10,000 hours doing? And you can collect your, um, your output with your consent and produce these stunning, uh, sometimes regurgitory generative outputs, but there is the occasional mutation that you can pull back into your practice. So when it comes to regulation, I think consent is huge and it's not spoken about enough the role of blockchain. I think that will be integral to how we identify what is authentic content coming from a source. So in the work that we do, um, we really celebrate consent and we're very interested in new methods of ownership and privacy outside of the art context, much more in the authentic ownership side of, uh, of art creation. I wonder if it's worth unpacking one step further with the blockchain element as how you see that evolving from a creative perspective, how, how that will manifest in the work of artists like yourself or mm. beyond. Yeah, so we're already seeing incredible like watermarking systems that allow us to just uh, outside of the human eye be able to identify what is authentic. But I think the programmability of, uh, yeah, of blockchain opportunities allows you to really just develop a culture that you know, you 100% know where something comes from. And there is that fear and that anxiety. Um, but in the artworks that we create, especially a lot of the voice generative sculpture and the voice generative um, visualizations, we've really experimented with the idea of, well, okay, if, if we are to leverage these systems outside of art culture with blockchain, which I think is a very separate thing, what are the secure systems of preservation? And I think that's very exciting and reassuring to know that there is available technology there today outside of the hype that can really let you know that what you're interacting with is from a, a viable source. And I, I see, maybe it's because I'm a massive geek, but I see that as, as interesting. Yeah, well, we were talking about this uh, geeks, the, the geek story being suddenly really relevant, right? Is mm. where we go next. So I think we're going to talk about this a bit later, but this idea of truth and authenticity in this moment and this anxiety about what can you trust and what should you trust? Um, and of course, artists, creative people carry that. You carry the trust of your fans, your followers. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested in how you decide, like when you're starting a new project, a new song, it, maybe it's just the same creative process of any other artist or musical 
you know, person, but like when you have a machine involved and you have new ways of manifesting your work, how much do you consider the space between yourself and the technology? Yeah, I mean, it's a much more established narrative, but I, I really support this concept of augmented intelligence and the fact that we no longer uh, have, we, we don't really have a word in the English language for something that is both you and not you. And when you work in generative, that becomes a very common sentiment. And what I can do with my voice now and the pieces that I write vocally um, are definitely the result of an augmentation with interacting with systems. Um, those systems had outputs that are generated from my data set that is me. So it is both me and not me when I hear a voice sing back or I hear a set of phraseologies that are brand new. It's a very unsettling, strange concept. But if you lean into that discomfort, something very new and fascinating can happen. And I think we talk a lot about uh, mentorship or collaboration in this world, but I think opposition is also very exciting. To have a system take your expertise and fight you back, it, I think is a beautiful experience. And when I started sharing my very early sort of experiments with voice and AI, every single one of my contemporaries absolutely hated it. And they felt very uncomfortable. They felt like my voice was being sort of taken from me, but I had total consent. I had total ownership over that. So I, to that day, it's been about seven years now, I've lent into that sentiment again and again and again. And I've been able to kind of generate phraseologies and generate songs and compositions that I know I wouldn't have done without interacting with that. So I think it's a narrative thing. It's a zeitgeist thing. It's an attitudes and values thing, but I think if you lean into that, your AI literacy improves and there's a whole world of new opportunities that are opening up. And in our studio and in our work, we've been embracing that for a long time. But the aim is for me to be a living, breathing example of augmentation, not just talk about it. Right. Okay, I will have like a million more questions, but you have to go. So I have a last question. I'm really sorry that we don't have questions for everyone, but whatever, next time. Um, is around like the, the concept of neurodivergence and that is part of your practice. Why is it that you keep putting it front and center? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that first off, I think of my upbringing and where I came from and wanting an archetype to kind of not feel like the deviation from the norm is absolutely a sort of a negative, which it was framed as a lot. Um, and this is a, a slightly kind of obvious way of framing it, but I like the idea of neural diversity. I think there's a kinship with nonlinear thinking and neurodivergent people with smart systems because you're are starting to observe intelligence as this objective thing that exists in the universe, people just access it from different angles. Like whether it's interacting with an AI, whether it's nature, they tap into the exponential intelligence ladder. And that's very reassuring as someone that's been told you're wired differently your whole life. Um, you're a deviation from the norm. And I think these systems bringing in this much more sort of humbling of the, uh, the, the collective human ego, that intelligence isn't something that we own. I think AI provides a really exciting sort of process to have the human race reconsider and reframe who owns intelligence. Where does it come from? And that's something a neurodivergent young person has been told their whole life that maybe your intelligence or your way comes from another place. And that's definitely something I really believe in. Uh, and I exist as a nonlinear human being. My work is nonlinear, but I'm really excited to hopefully inspire our next generation of neurodivergent creatives. That's fantastic. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to thank Harry and um, hand over to him. So Suha did ask me to showcase uh, a piece of my research. We would normally have this in an installation context, but um, much like a chess player, uh, I've generated a lot of phraseologies. So 
this I wouldn't call this a piece of music, um, but I'm just going to showcase some of the more uh, upper echelons of like technical sort of riffing that I've had by uh, interacting with systems across a number of different uh, projects. <laughs> So the very last sentiment, like from myself, from my studio, is that my voice and voice maybe not be the relevant expertise, but through embracing discomfort with these systems, I think there is an expertise 2.0. I think there's a way to break through any glass ceiling. And for me, this is my discipline. But we strongly support openness and new narratives, uh, hopefully to inspire new demographics and new entry points into this world. Thank you. Yeah.